Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. In 1992, the Food and Drug Administration decided that genetically modified organisms were the functional equivalent of conventional foods. They arrived at this decision without testing GMOs for allergenicity, toxicity, antibiotic resistance, and functional characteristics. The aim of the feed industry is a trillion dollars of profits from royalties every year. And the aim is no farmer should have access to their own seed. The aim is every farmer should be forced into the market every year. All across our country, our people are becoming more and more conscious about the foods that they are eating and the foods that they are serving to their kids. And this is certainly true for genetically engineered foods. Americans have a right to know if their food is genetically engineered. Hello and welcome to Mad Science, the Genetic Crossroad. I am your host, Anna Kavanaugh, and I want to thank you for joining me for the broadcast tonight. We've got a lot of material to get through on tonight's program, and I want to be sure to get it all in, so please bear with me if I'm moving pretty quickly through this at times. Toxic Promise. The GM biotech industry is full of many of them. The Six Kings, Monsanto, Syngenta, DuPont, Dow, Bayer Crop Science, and BASF, manipulating the genetic foundations of the crops that make our food, their revolutionary technology and advancement in genetic engineering, philanthropic, altruistic, solutions to world hunger, bountiful crops for farmers, healthier foods for us all. These are just some of the promises these chemical corporations are asking consumers to buy, along with the GM foods resulting from them. Monsanto is arguably the most hated corporation in America fraught with negative press about corruption, deception, prioritizing profit, and dismissing public health. And they're the first name that comes to mind when talking about genetic manipulation in foods. But there are other players on the board here, too. Monsanto is not the only corporation that is in this business, albeit the largest, but others like Syngenta, DuPont, and Dow, Bayer Crop Science, and BASF are all competing for market share in this industry just the same. Biotech is the road to the future, and these corporations know it. And folks, we're on that road whether we like it or not. The crux of the fear? Just what future is this road taking us to? So how did it all come to this? How did the GM and biotech industry rise up quietly to become so powerful that it holds inexplicable control over global markets and government and the shaping of policy within political machinery? Well, let's take a look and see. Let's go back in time and see where and how this all got started. Well, to understand the biotech industry and companies like Monsanto today, we need to look back in history. We need to see the roots of where it all began. 
To begin with, farmers noticed hundreds of years ago that plants had variations to them. But it wasn't until a guy named Gregor Mendel published a scientific paper in 1866 showing that traits were passed from generation to generation by some mode of transmission. And that's how the idea of genetics began. And for his contributions in scientifically studying and cataloging offspring traits in plants, Mendel is known as the grandfather of genetics. And then, only two years later, in 1868, German chemist, a guy by the name of Friedrich Meischer, discovered DNA, deoxyribonucleic acid. However, at the time, scientists thought it was too simple chemically to carry the vast amount of genetic information required to produce the enormous diversity of nature. And so... It was just sort of written off. But in 1935, DNA was actually isolated for the first time by Russian scientist Andrei Belizersky. And this gave scientists something to really work with. And a decade later, in 1945, physician and microbiologist Oswald Avery, he turned the tables back and took another look at earlier findings and finally identified DNA as the true carrier of genetic information. I think it's also important to note that a lot of people attribute the discovery of DNA to scientists Watson and Crick in 1953, but that's inaccurate. Watson and Crick discovered the double helix structure of DNA, but Meischer was the official discoverer of DNA itself nearly a hundred years earlier. So DNA has quite a legacy, but it's only in the last 60 years that it has made a name for itself in the scientific community and its profitable application. So let's fast forward now to the early 1970s. Microbiology and genetic science had been slowly progressing. But in 1972, Stanley Cohen and Herbert Boyer perfected the method of gene splicing. And that's the foundational block to modern genetic engineering, which uses enzymes acting as uh, scissors to cut a DNA molecule in specific locations. In fact, Dr. Herbert Boyer and fellow venture capitalist Robert Swanson formed one of the first biotech companies known as Genentech, which is actually credited for being the starter of the biotech industry. Genentech was able to produce insulin by inserting human genes into a bacteria. And yes, I said human genes. Well, this was groundbreaking science. And this got the interest of a pharmaceutical company, Eli Lilly, who was instrumental in successfully having this synthetic insulin approved as a marketable product by the FDA in 1982 under the appropriate name Humulin. This was the first ever approved genetically engineered human therapeutic and a huge step for GMOs because the approval of this gave a green light to pharmaceutical companies that may have been apprehensive about getting involved with GMOs for consumer products. A couple years later, Genentech got FDA approval to manufacture and sell its new genetically engineered human growth hormone, protropin, the first product to be manufactured and marketed by a biotech company. Now, it was during this same period in the 1980s that chemical company Monsanto saw opportunity, and they set about capitalizing on it. They began applying biotech science to agriculture by successfully inserting genetically altered DNA into plant cells. In 1985, Monsanto acquired G.D. Searle & Company, a life sciences company focusing on pharmaceuticals, agriculture, and animal health. Just about two years later, they conducted the first field tests of genetically engineered crops, and these were the first steps into an unknown world of unknown consequences. Many people might be surprised to know that Monsanto has been around for quite some time, 1901 to be exact. 
It was founded in St. Louis by John Queenie, whose first product was the artificial sweetener saccharin, which was sold to the Coca-Cola company. In the 20s, they became primarily a chemical company, producing things like sulfuric acid and PCBs. Over the next few decades, Monsanto was part of the Manhattan Project dealing with the atomic bomb and produced toxins like DDT, Agent Orange, insecticides, and herbicides. It went on from there with different chemicals and detergents, some very toxic and some very dangerous. Interestingly, and really so incredibly disturbingly, at the time Monsanto was fully aware of the risks of their products to human health, but apparently they felt they were entitled to overlook those risks. Have a listen to Bill Fries, a science policy analyst at the Center for Food Safety. Here's what he has to say. Monsanto was founded in 1901, and for many decades it was a producer of pesticides and industrial chemicals. Um, so, for instance, they're best known for producing uh, PCBs, which are polychlorinated biphenyls, uh, which were for many decades used as industrial coolants. And it turns out that they were very toxic compounds. And um, Monsanto actually had evidence that they were dangerous as early as the 1930s and basically ignored this evidence. Monsanto was also a major manufacturer of Agent Orange, which was used as a defoliant in the, in the Vietnam War. Um, Agent Orange is laced with dioxin, which is an incredibly potent toxin, and it you know, harmed both U.S. troops and also even more the, the Vietnamese population. So that's kind of the history of Monsanto. Um, in the 1980s, they began buying up seed companies, seed firms. So a lot of the major you know, seed firms in the United States and in other countries are now owned by Monsanto, which is the largest seed company in the world. You know, we, we feel that patents on seeds are wrong. Um, that whole patent regime is, was never meant for seeds. It was meant for mechanical inventions. So this is a real problem, and it's really negatively impacted a lot of, a lot of farmers. By the early 1980s, Monsanto was already experimenting with genetically modified plants to possibly go to market. So now we understand better about where the science and the biotech industry comes from, and we've taken a look at the origins of Monsanto. How did they become such a dominant force in the market today? They had to sell the idea on which they would build an empire of power and control. Along with Monsanto came several toxic promises. A recent Monsanto advertising campaign in Washington, D.C. used the slogan, Improving Agriculture, Improving Lives. Well, if you ask the majority of farmers who have now become dependent on Monsanto's seed and chemical herbicides, I wonder how many would say either is true. Enticing farmers to buy in to their products, promising greater crop yields, fewer weeds, more nutritious crops, drought-resistant crops, etc., has merely been a calculated strategy in gaining control of the agriculture industry. Monsanto would contract with farmers under terms that they could not reuse or save any seed to plant for future crops. But because frugal farmers obviously did, that led to the first of the Monsanto versus the American farmer lawsuits. And that's not all they had up their sleeve. GM seed intentionally contains dominant alleles that, if spread to neighboring crops, will take over that crop, much like a weed. And legally, due to poorly thought-out patent laws, 
the newly infested crop is now the property of Monsanto. It's not unlike a plague spreading town to town until eventually massive populations die. In agriculture, bit by bit and blow by blow, natural crops are being overpowered and overtaken by GM crops. This is by the profit-driven design of the GM and biotech industry. So it began with the farmers. Monsanto came up with a plan. They figured out that engineering seeds with kill genes could prevent regrowth after the first year, therefore rendering the seeds sterile after the first growing cycle. Well, this was a great plan to ensure that farmers became dependent on them, could not save or salvage seed, and forced new seed to be purchased for every planting season. The term used for this was terminator gene technology. And get this, folks, the USDA not only approved it, but are part owner of it. What a flagrant conflict of interest that is. Have a listen to this clip from farmer Percy Schmeiser, a well-known international spokesperson for farmer rights and regulation for transgenic crops. And Percy battled Monsanto after being sued for patent infringement, and he was drugged through court battles due to the contamination of his farm fields by neighboring GMO crops. He knows all about the toxic promises of the GM biotech industry, and here's what Percy has to say. In 1996, when it was introduced, farmers were told uh, three main things. It will always be a bigger yielder, it would be more nutritious, and less chemicals. And within three and four years, we found out that the total opposite happened. We're now using more chemicals than ever before, and more powerful and more toxic chemicals because it has become a superweed. The other issue is that the quality is much poorer. And, and, uh, and uh, so now we have, and then also, poorer yields. And to give you an example of that, the, even the United States Department of Agriculture, just a short time ago, indicated that the yield on soybeans was down about 15% with the introduction of GMOs. Let's talk about superweeds. These things, these, these superweeds, have mutated from their natural state to become resistant to popular herbicides like Monsanto's Roundup formula. They're getting bigger, stronger, and are growing faster. Farmers are facing aggressive, out-of-control superweeds in their fields. We're talking about some of these things growing up to three inches a day in size. And they're so hardy and seemingly indestructible, they're actually damaging farm equipment. Infested acreage has jumped from 2.4 million acres back in 2007 to now in excess of 11 million acres. Farmers have been left with the only real alternative to deal with these mutations being more dangerous chemicals. That's a pretty happy coincidence for companies like Monsanto. Monsanto engineered their seed to be Roundup Ready meaning their DNA had been altered to allow them to withstand the herbicide glyphosate, which is the active ingredient in Roundup. This way, farmers could spray crops, killing only the unwanted weeds and leaving the harvest crop unaffected. But as Percy Schmeiser said in the previous clip, it took only three to four years before weeds started becoming tolerant to Roundup, to the point where larger doses of it were required to have the same effectiveness. One of the biggest challenges to farmers is keeping their crops clean and the weeds out of their fields. And now farmers are facing an epidemic. The connection is so thick here, one has to ask if superweeds were designed in a nefarious effort by Monsanto to boost their chemical product line. 
super weeds and consequently super pests, which is another story but with the same idea, have become the biggest threat to production agriculture in farming history. So what's happened here? Monsanto tried to control farmers through contracts, stating seed could not be saved or reused. Well, that didn't work out. So Monsanto started to sue the American farmer. That didn't go over very well either in the farming industry. So then they rolled out Terminator gene technology, putting kill genes into their seeds. So farmers no longer had a choice because seeds were only good for one year, and farmers were then forced to keep buying GM seed. And it's not as simple as a farmer just saying, oh, well, too bad, uh, Monsanto, you know, buzz off, I'm just going to grow organic. Because when organic farmer Joe is sandwiched in between GM farmer Fred and GM farmer Tom, poor Joe's crops will become infested with GM seeds. And then Monsanto owns his crops by the patent laws. It's not a pretty picture, folks, and farmers are becoming prisoners to the GM biotech industry in a cycling dependency on it, and the USDA isn't doing anything to help them. Have a listen to attorney George Kimbrell from the Center for Food Safety, who summarizes perfectly what we're talking about here. If you go to Monsanto's website, they will teach you that uh, genetically engineered foods are going to help us feed the world, they're going to help us have lower impacts on the environment uh, and now increase our yields and, and now the most recent myth, which is that they're going to help us solve global warming. None of those are true. Uh, they are all falsehoods. Eighty percent of these crops, this is how I started, eighty percent of these crops are, are pesticide promoting. They are engineered to do one thing and one thing alone, not uh, increase yields, but rather to sell more pesticides. They are resistant to these pesticides companies' flagship products in the main roundup. Because of them, Roundup has become the most common pesticide in the history of mankind. In 15 years of promises, uh, this is what we have, herbicide-tolerant crops, mostly in these four varieties, corn, cotton, and soy and canola. There have been a number of studies that have shown that overall the adoption of these crops have led to widespread increases in pesticide impacts on our environment. One of the other major environmental impacts of these crops is that they create superweeds, similar to antibiotic resistance when we overuse antibiotics. Similarly, these weeds, um, when the farmers douse the, the crops in Roundup or another pesticide repeatedly, they get smart, they mutate, they become resistant, forcing the farmer to douse the crop in more and more of that pesticide and eventually revert to more toxic pesticides. Designed for one thing only, to sell more chemicals. Monsanto and other chemical and seed growing corporations are running our agriculture folks and they seem to be unstoppable. Remember that Monsanto has been primarily a chemical company for more than a century. And again, they started out selling the artificial sweetener saccharin, basically an edible chemical. Monsanto has pushed its way into the agriculture industry, becoming one of its largest players. And by the way, aside from being the largest seed company, they now sell almost $1 billion worldwide in herbicide chemicals alone, and that's every three months. Farmers who bought into the promise of bumper crops and more profit for themselves have now become completely reliant on Monsanto's GM seed and herbicides, and you don't even have to sign a contract with Monsanto to become indentured to them. Allowing a company like Monsanto to expand their reach globally is not only irresponsible, but it sets a dangerous precedent. 
The problem with letting private companies fund and develop agriculture is that their primary concern will be their own bottom line rather than food security. Simply put, their objective is not the fight against hunger or growing healthier crops. It is to make money. It's frosting on a cardboard cake, folks. It's a toxic promise. And what about the promises to the people, the promises to consumers like you and me, the promises that the toxins we are consuming in GM foods are safe, the promises that they can create more nutritional foods and that those foods are actually better for us than natural and organic foods. Yes, the GM biotech industry comes with all sorts of promises, but no evidence to support its safety and mountains of evidence to support its dangers. GMOs, according to Monsanto, is about feed the world, enhancing nutrition, more plentiful crops, which would in turn drive product price down for consumers. You would think they would be proud to label these GM foods in the grocery store. Food companies like Kraft, Nestle, Heinz, Coca-Cola, and all the rest of them should want to wave the flag proudly and say, buy our product, it contains GMO. But they don't. None of them do. And they spent $46 million to ensure Proposition 37 requiring GM labeling would fail in California. Why? And about saving the world, who benefits? Is it really the people or is it the profit? In Africa, organic farmers are excluded in President Obama's Grow Africa Partnership, where Monsanto and other agribusinesses invested over $3 billion dollars. In Europe, countries adamantly opposed to GMOs were pressured to comply to be eligible to join the European Union. And in India, 300,000 farmers to date have committed suicide after being driven into insurmountable debt by Monsanto's overtaking of Indian farmland. 300,000 farmers. And Argentina. Argentina introduced transgenic soy, which just like the plight of our American farmers, served as the mechanism for Monsanto to spread into the rest of South America, pushing the seed illegally into Brazil, Paraguay, Bolivia, and Uruguay, all countries where transgenic crops were prohibited. Taking over the world may be a dramatic statement, but then again, is it really? Henry Kissinger said, quote, If you control oil, you control nations. Control food, and you control the people. When it comes to what is happening to our world food supply, no truer statement has ever been spoken. Now it's time to move on to a special segment of the program called The Listener's Voice, which is where folks out there have kindly taken the time to write into the website with their questions and comments, which I so appreciate and I love to hear from everyone. And to close each show of the program, we'll go through as many as we can. And this evening we will begin with Rob. Rob Selwood says, Hi, Anna. Thank you for your GMO work. Consumers need to hear your message. I just have a comment about Monsanto and farmers. I'm concerned about the monopolization of America's farmlands. If a farmer didn't buy or choose to plant Monsanto seeds, how can Monsanto force that farmer to pay them when their farmland becomes infected with GMO seeds from natural processes like pollination and wind direction? That doesn't seem fair or legal and goes against what America stands for. Farmers are the backbone of this country. Hi, Rob. Thank you so much, and I agree with you. You bring up a great point, and many of us are asking the same questions and feel the same way about what seems to be a lack of justice in the legality and financial 
consequences imposed on farmers whose fields have been infested by GM seeds through no fault or, or action of their own. To me, this is just another example of how short-sighted the courts were in deciding to allow patenting of seed. It, it certainly doesn't seem that decision was well thought through, or maybe worse, maybe it was thought through. Unfortunately, though, Rob, hammering farmers this way with fines and lawsuits because the wind blew Monsanto seed into their fields, it is legal, as unimaginable as it seems. It's legal because, like it or not, the Supreme Court said it was okay to patent life. But there's a glimmer of good news for farmers in all this, though, because the U.S. Supreme Court has agreed to hear a case about this very subject matter, where Monsanto is demanding payment from a farmer in Indiana for $84,000. It'll be interesting to see what the court decides on that one, and uh, that should be happening sometime this year. As it stands now, federal courts have traditionally ruled in favor for Monsanto. And considering the revolving door I've talked about, one has to wonder uh, if that's because of political connections and influence. Um, there is a, a lot of focus and consumer outrage about the GMO and, and biotech industry right now, and the Supreme Court is going to have to ask itself where the court of public opinion, ethics, and morality play a part in what is reasonable behavior and demand from giant chemical corporations looking to monopolize and monetize modern agriculture. Thanks for writing into the show. And Barbara Weber says, I heard your program last week, and it struck home for me. I have been conscientious about what I eat for 15 years since battling breast cancer. Whole Foods became my go-to grocery store, and I was more than willing to pay more out of my grocery budget for the satisfaction of knowing I was eating natural, wholesome food. I was so upset to find out last year that Whole Foods buckled to Monsanto and sells GMO. I feel deceived and ripped off to find out I may as well have been shopping and spending less at any regular supermarket chain. Thank you, Barbara, and I hear and share your feelings, as do many around the country, about what was one of my favorite stores, too, for a long time. The Whole Foods story is an interesting one. Now, they've actually become an official part of the non-GMO project and supported Proposition 37, which is absolutely fantastic. The interesting and disturbing part for consumers is that despite that, they sold foods containing GMO while purporting to be a natural food store. And while they claimed to support Proposition 37, they didn't contribute a dime towards fighting for its passage. So this leaves us confused about Whole Foods. We want to believe they are the company that we've loved. But are they? Are they a company trying to do the best they can uh, in, in pushing for consumer disclosure? Or are they trying to hedge their bets and do damage control? I personally have a bit of an issue, to be honest, when their logo is nothing artificial ever. And then Libba Letton, the spokesperson for Whole Foods, comes out and says, quote, I don't think that Whole Foods does anything to try and make people think that we don't have food with GMOs in them. Well, that's just an insult of our, of our intelligence, to be frank. Uh, a GMO couldn't be more artificial, and it's a given that people who shop there would be under the impression they were buying non-GMO products. Uh, I, I don't understand the contradiction of their own logo. So clearly it seems that Whole Foods is trying to play both sides of the fence, and we can only hope their true interests fall on the side of consumers. You have to give Whole Foods a little credit for the efforts they do now seem to be making. How much credit? Well, that's up to the individual consumer. Thanks for writing into the show, Barbara. 
And Gail Streisen, or Streisen, sorry, who I recognize from my Facebook page, uh, says, Your radio show is very informative. Thank you, Anna. After listening to your first broadcast, I looked at the ingredient labels when I went to the grocery store. I don't understand why these GMOs are in so many products and how it's allowed to be sold in 75% or more of products in the store, which puts shoppers in a bad position of almost being forced to buy them and take them home. I thought there were strict guidelines on dominating the market. Hi, Gail. Thanks so much for listening. You bring up a very good point. But the bottom line is every business wants to maximize their profits, and unfortunately, you've got the processed food manufacturers who don't have a practical choice in basic ingredients that make up their products. We have to understand that it's not Monsanto, Syngenta, Dow, or DuPont putting the food on the shelves. They are the chemical and seed companies who have eliminated the practical choice to grow natural crops. So here's how this daisy chain works. You've got the chemical and seed companies promising high-yield crops to farmers, who then in turn provide more products for a cheaper price to food manufacturers. And then the food manufacturing companies are making their products as inexpensively as possible and with ingredient properties that have a much longer shelf life due to GMOs. So it's really profit and fundamental business operation decisions that are driving the market. And that's why we have such a high percentage of GM foods in our grocery stores. Because of the market saturation and the prolific use of GM seeds, it's simply not practical for food companies focused on profit to survive by avoiding GMOs. And that's really the crux of the entire labeling issue. They fear losing profits if forced to label because consumers are less likely to buy their foods. For consumers, until labeling is a requirement, we can expect to continue to see GMO saturation in the market currently at 75 to 80 percent and growing. Thanks for writing into the show. And Karen Perez says, my family and I all suffer from severe allergies and my husband was told to go on a gluten-free diet two years ago. That's when I started to do a lot of research about food and ingredients and I found out more about genetically modified foods. Since then, I've put the entire family on a non-GMO and gluten-free diet, and our allergies have dramatically reduced, and my daughters have all gone away completely. I know the connection is to GMO. People should stay away from these foods at all costs. I'm glad someone is hosting a radio series about these foods and the illness they cause. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Your family is one of many who are experiencing the fallout effects of GM foods. Doctors are more and more urgently uh, advising their patients to avoid GMOs based on the connection they themselves uh, are seeing in the deteriorating health of their patients in a variety of ailments and illnesses, uh, and that includes allergies. It is encouraging that physicians are connecting the dots and advising their patients against GMOs. Thank you for writing in. And with that, I've run out of time in the segment. If you would like your question or comment to be featured on the show, I would love to hear from you. Just pay a visit to the website at www.geneticcrossroadradio.com and follow the link to the listener's voice. Once there, fill in the form and send me your thoughts. I'll feature as many as I can during each broadcast. Your voice really does matter and will help make a difference in both the future of our food and our human health. This show is a conversation, and that's where all change begins. So let's get talking. 
Thank you for listening to Mad Science, the genetic crossroad. Please join me every Tuesday for more on GMO. On next week's show, that's Tuesday, February 5th, we'll continue our conversation with an episode named Dismantling DNA. We'll lift the veil on the scientific methods and practice happening in the GM biotech industry. The building blocks of life are being synthetically manipulated and altered from a natural state. Nearly 80% of all products in grocery stores now contain GMO ingredients. What is really involved in the process of altering the DNA in our food supply? Find out what they would rather you not know. If we destroy nature, surely nature will destroy us. For while we may hold dominion over nature, we do not possess its wisdom. Until next time, be well, be healthy, and be informed. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.